When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I had a little sneak preview of something really extraordinary. A three-part series. Well, it's actually a three-night event over this weekend, President's Day weekend. Abraham Lincoln. And this is the biography of our 16th president and the man who took our country during horrible times. You know, I know how many of you have complained, feel this is the worst time. Everything is bad. We don't have leadership. We're falling apart. We have threats of war. Watch this. Watch this biography. You're going to go and see again the bloodiest war in history. And yet you're going to see a man who did not come from privileged background, a simple man who took our country through that war, through its enormous crisis, not a perfect man, and yet became what some people consider the best president that we've ever had. A Pulitzer Prize winning writer, author, lecturer, scholar, historian, Doris Kearns Goodwin, she executive produced this. And it was predicated, actually, on what she wrote, her book, Leadership in Turbulent Times. And there's so much about Lincoln that we thought we knew that we don't know. Welcome to you, Doris. Oh, I'm glad to be with you again, Joan. Absolutely. No, it's wonderful to be able to talk about Abe and Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) And especially, I'm telling you, it was every time I think we're in the worst of times. Where are the leaders? Where's the hope? I looked at this biography and it was extraordinary. Those times were absolutely horrible. Worse shape, if we can say that, than we are in now, or at least the perception is. And we got through it. I mean, that's the important thing to understand, you know, that we know the end of their story. We know that the war was won, that the Union was restored and emancipation secured, but the people living then, the people you're watching on this miniseries, they did not know how their story would end. They had the anxiety we're having today. So I think just having seen what it took to get through that and know that eventually we emerge stronger has got to give us some hope that we've got this chapter of our own still to write, and it depends on what we do, that how it's going to end. And it also depends upon a leader. Here we have a president, an unlikely president, but the president who understood, and it wasn't only about ambition, it was about being a human being and listening and empathy and funny at the same time and doing what he thought was right for the country, not right for him politically. So here you have this guy, he saved the Union. He won the war. We saw emancipation. And 
we are hungry for something like that to happen again. Is it possible? We've got to believe that it is, right? I mean, otherwise, if you don't have the belief that it's possible, then there's no chance that anything can happen. And when you think about it, I mean, what the History Channel and Beth Lasky and I as executive producers tried to do in this miniseries was to show the journey that Abraham went from being a young kid at nine years old with his mother dying and struggling with his father and struggling to get an education, only one year of formal schooling, losing his first election to the state legislature, coming back with resilience. But because of the quality, one of the ones you just mentioned, empathy, ability to listen, to learn from his mistakes, all those emotionally intelligent qualities that we think are so important in our everyday lives, we have to have in our leaders. And he had them. And you follow him on this journey, and I think you root for him as a human being. You want him to win. And then when he's in that office with the terrible anxieties and the pressures, and he's able to use his humor to give him a life-preserving capacity to get through it, you just feel by his side, I hope, and, and know that you're going to be with him and root for the country and him at the same time. Right, and you knew that he was a human. He got depressed. He he lived through all the emotions that we tend to forget what our leaders do. But he's an example of what a leader should do. And when you think about the stepmother, who really, not his father, his biological father, but his stepmother, who knew that there was something in this gangly, skinny young kid where he could <laughs> right. do something. Yeah, this is where, you know, we know from history's sake that she was so important to him because she comes into his life after his father has left him and his sister there, you know, for seven or eight months to go find another wife after Lincoln's mother had died. And she gives him love. She understands his talent. She gives him books. And I think some of the most emotional scenes that are in the filmed part of the miniseries are when she first comes into the house and she makes that house a snug and comfortable home. And then later when he has to say goodbye to her, when he's on his way to Washington to become president and knowing what she felt for him and what he felt for her, he was very lucky. This is a case of a very good stepmother rather than our normal traditional understandings right, of it. The wicked witch. No, it, it is rather incredible. But what, when all this is said and done and you are one of our leading presidential historians and writers. What does it take to really be a leader? Is it the same as when we went back to the 1860s and around there? Or are these times so different? Is there so much anger in our country? You know, I guess what we can take hope of is looking at the 1850s you know, as a forerunner in a certain sense for where we are today in the sense that the country was becoming more and more polarized. We had a partisan press. I mean, if you were getting your news in the 1850s or 60s, the only way you could get it was by the subscription to your party newspaper, which meant you're reading a Democratic newspaper or a Republican newspaper. And there was a same disagreement among facts that we have today among cable news and social media. If Lincoln was in a debate with Douglas and he had, was being written up in the Republican newspaper, they'd say he was so triumphant. He was carried out on the arms of his supporters. You read the same debate in the same time and you read it in the Democratic newspaper and he was so terrible that he fell on the floor in embarrassment and had to be dragged out. But that's the problem. That was one of the things that was beginning to divide the country more and more. You see symbolic things happen that one thing like January 6th when Charles Sumner, and this is captured dramatically in the film, in, in the filmed version of the miniseries, 
Um, he's he's struck on the head by the Charles by Charles Sumner, the anti-slavery senator, struck on the head by Preston Brooks, the South Carolinian congressman, to, with such damage that he goes into unconsciousness. But somehow, the fact that it happened in the Senate multiplied the feelings in the North against slavery and helped to create the Republican Party. And yet in the South, he was viewed as a hero. So you see those two different ways of looking at the same event that sadly we're seeing with January 6th as well. And that only deepens the polarization in the country. Right. And and the right to vote, which is a true threat to our democracy. And as you point out there, we think there have been a lot of threats to democracy, but maybe Abraham Lincoln's times and now. Could you equate now with then in terms of threat? You know, I think you're right in focusing on the right to vote. You know, sometimes when we talk about democracy, it seems like an abstract quality. But what democracy means is a system of government where the people can vote for their leaders. It's as simple as that. And Lincoln understood that when he first came into office, he talked about the question that was being raised by the secession of the South was whether a minority, which lost an election, could just decide to break up the union rather than accept their loss and go through a peaceful transition of power. And if they could do that, that would show that people couldn't govern themselves, that the whole idea of the democratic experiment was an absurdity. And you think about that's got a familiarity to today. And then the same thing, the last speech he gives is to talk about extending the rights possibly to African-Americans who had fought in the war. And now we're at a situation where that right to vote is being made harder rather than easier. And it just it's the symbol, it's the hallmark of what democracy is. So we really have to figure out how we're going to fight to make sure that that voting rights are protected. That's the that's the challenge of our of our time right now. It is. And can our elected leaders do this? Can they get Maybe through? Maybe this is where we need to have not just the elected leaders, but us as a people. You know, I think we need the kind of passion and the discipline that the civil rights movement brought to the 60s when voting rights was at issue after Selma, Alabama. You had that civil rights movement, and then you had the channel of power with LBJ inside that was able to translate that into legislative action. So you need both. But I think at the moment, it can't just depend upon the leaders. It's got to depend upon people in their states really organizing and 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 getting a momentum from the engaged citizen to make their legislators know that this isn't right to go backward, you know, on voting rights, which is the hallmark of democracy, as I say. Exactly. And and when you look at this three-part series over President's Weekend, it is incredibly unlikely. The odds are against him. And how do you reunite a country during a war like they were dealing with? But it happened. The impossible happened. And that's what we have to believe. Of course, most of us have no clue how our elected leaders, even the good intention ones, can rise to the occasion with so much animosity. But impossible things happen. <laughs> That's the old to dream, the impossible dream. <laughs> My husband used to play that over and over again. That just gave him a sense of it can still happen when it things can. were tough. I mean, think about it during you know, the late 60s. Things seemed really out of control, obviously during the Great Depression, during the early days of World War II. And, and they didn't know how it was going to end, as I say. So... That's why we just have to have the hope that somehow we'll, we'll manage our way through this, because otherwise there's no chance of, of getting out of this mess we're in. No, and we absolutely know that. 
and you're a believer, so we're going to believe, and you've given us presidents, but some of the really, really good presidents who even as time has gone by, they look better. I think when we're living it, it's very easy to find fault, right? They've suddenly become heroes. And, you know, when you think about the fact that Lincoln and it's it's portrayed in the miniseries in the summer of 64, it was told to him by all the Republican leaders that he'll never win that election in November unless he's willing to compromise on slavery and just argue that they'll go to the peace table with the South. The South is exhausted, too. Every hundreds of thousands have died. The war can't keep going on. And just promise that you'll do that and put emancipation off for a later time. He knew it might mean losing the election, but he said, I'd be damned in time and eternity if I went back on my word and I returned the black warriors to slavery. And again, that's what we need right now from our elected officials, that they know what's right. They know what's wrong. Is it worth just winning another couple of years in office versus taking a stand and knowing that you're doing something that history will regard as a good thing that you did? And and history will look well on people who protect the right to vote. These kinds of times when we go closer to our ideals are what history considers as positive movements. And we go backwards sometimes. It's a relay race. But this is one of those times when we have to start moving forward again. Well, let's hope that um, from your mouth, as they say, to God's ear, because there is so much going on. Do you sometimes, after all the wonderful things that you've done, all the presidents that you've shared with us, the Pulitzer Prize, the great books, and these specials. Can you sometimes believe you grew up to be Doris Kurtz Goodwin? <laughs> like, how all this happened to you, a baseball-loving kid who probably never dreamt that that was your future, or did you? Oh, there's no question I did not. No, I mean, all I knew really because of baseball was that I loved history because I could you know, recount the stories of the Brooklyn Dodger game that afternoon, play by play, inning by inning to my father, because he taught me how to keep score. And that's made history seem pretty magic if your father's spending so much time listening to you when he comes home from work during the day. And also, I think, because my mother had had rheumatic fever so that she led a pretty invalid existence in our house. And I wanted to always remember her when she might have been young or imagine her. So I would Mm. constantly ask her to tell me stories of the days when she was young, not realizing how peculiar that was until my own three sons never once have said to me, Mom, tell me a story about you when you were our no, age. I always but say, I think, too much, they were saying, too much. <laughs> Mom, I don't want to know that much about you. <laughs> but the question of wanting to know about the past somehow between baseball and my mother, I think led me into a love of history that then was strengthened by, I had great history teachers in high school, but then it became presidential history much against I would never have imagined it because of being chosen as a White House fellow. A random thing happens. I go to work for Lyndon Johnson, end up working for him in the White House, accompanying him to his ranch to help him on his memoirs, write a first book about President LBJ. And then all you, after a while, you're writing one on Kennedy, you're writing one on the Roosevelt's, you're writing one on Lincoln. And, and then suddenly. suddenly you become a presidential historian, which I never could have imagined in the first place. But it's been a wonderful career to be catapulted back in time and live in these people's areas of time, understand what these leaders were like. Um, I wouldn't change it for anything. I feel very lucky to have had it. Now, and the improbable thing that you had actually written something very negative about Lyndon Johnson at that time. And and Johnson was so sure of himself that he was like, get rid of me. 
I'll, I'll right. change her in the year. You'll see. Bring her down here for a year, and, and, and I'll, if I can't win her, oh, well, no one can. We'll fix her. She was her. an extraordinary person, Joan. I mean, I really, in so many ways, it was, I realize now more than I did when I was 24, 25, what an incredible experience it was to be able to spend so much time with him. If I'd known him at the height of his power, that might not have happened, but here it was. He was at the ranch. His, his power was over in a certain way, and he wanted to talk, so... I listened. I listened to a great storyteller, just as, as Lincoln was. I mean, I think the ability to tell a story is what you hope for an historian. It's what you hope for a miniseries like this. And Lincoln understood. He told stories all the time. He said stories were the way for people to be persuaded better than facts and figures, because stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think that's why I think the journey of this miniseries takes you from the beginning all the way to the end of his life, not covering ground, but really choosing those episodes where he grew or where he learned or where he had to acknowledge things that had gone wrong. And so you you really are following him on that journey every step, and you care about him. And by the time he becomes president, you you want him to do well, because that'll mean the country will do well, because you understand they've become fused together. Absolutely. You do care about him. And when you see this, you get a an idea of what it takes to really be a leader. What kind of success do you need to make this happen? And as important is how to restore trust, make the people feel that all this is possible. It's an extraordinary job. It's History Channel's three-night series, Abraham Lincoln, over President's Weekend, and executive producing it is Doris Kearns Goodwin. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I look forward oh, to talking you, to you. Oh, thank you, Joan. I'm so glad you've had a chance to look at it. Um, we're did. really it was, proud of it, so I hope it, people will feel the same be. way. No, it was Yay. extraordinary. And you know what? It made me feel hopeful. And I haven't always felt like that, you know, that things are going to happen. And we've just got to have trust. And we, the people, have to remember that it's about us, too. Exactly. It's, government's not a foreign body. Government is us. It's we the people. Absolutely. Thank you. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joan. Take care. Anytime. I'll talk to you again, I hope. I look forward to it. I'm Joan okay, Hamburg, bye. and you're listening. Goodbye. You're listening to WABC. Stay tuned. <laughs> 